Well, if we've never met before, my name's Aaron, and I'm the pastor here. And, uh, man, I love this place. Uh, it is awesome. Uh, there have been uh, little Easter bunnies out as service has been going on because of the weather, uh, placing Easter eggs, and they are amazing. And I'm just so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, and I'm really excited. We are uh, in the midst of this series we've been in called The Kingdom, and we've been talking about Jesus, and we've been talking about this thing that he talked about called the kingdom. And before we talk really about that, I want to set a picture in your mind, and maybe you guys can go somewhere with me. So let's picture this. It is the mid to late 90s. I am wearing some amazing cargo shorts with high socks with Nike slide sandals. I have a bowl cut that looks really good. And in the back of my hair, I have what I want it to be a Nike sign, but looks a lot more like a check mark. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, you ever been there? You know, you say like, I want the, I want the Nike check mark. And you know, your friend's mom who cuts your hair because you don't have a lot of money says, say no more. And it doesn't really look like the Nike check mark, but you still are feeling fly and really cool. I'm wearing my hand-me-down big baggy shirt from my brother, which in that time was in style, right? Can we get back to that? I'm just going to be honest. Like, I've kind of inadvertently embraced the dad bod thing. One of my friends told me that I actually embraced it before I had kids, but still, um, I, I like it. But why, are, why have we not moved back to baggy clothes? Like, baggy clothes are great because they're a little bit more comfortable and it's a little less hard. I don't like the trying to wear like a, hey, like I, I, I came to grips a couple years ago that I'm not a medium shirt anymore. I'm a large and that's okay, partially because they're making slim fit clothes now. But I digress. But it's the 90s, and it is in the small town of Greenville, Michigan. Michigan is is what you in Indiana, uh, we would call it God's country, but I guess everywhere else they call it Michigan. And uh, I grew up in this small town uh, called Greenville. It was outside of Grand Rapids. And kind of like how Kokomo, although you guys are kind of crazy, you have the Strawberry Festival and the Haynes-Apperson, right? Which I don't understand why you guys got double duty. But in Greenville, Michigan, just like every small town in West Michigan, you have to have some sort of festival. And, And in other places, they have the Cherry Festival and they have the Maple Syrup Festival and they have like the Silk Festival. I would still never really understand that one. But in Greenville, Michigan, we had the Danish festival. In every August, it was the Danish festival. And every year, it was sort of this moment that marked the end of the summer and that school was coming. And there was this big anticipation for it. And so you can imagine young Aaron walking the streets of Greenville, Michigan, looking fly as all get out. And it's one of those times where, again, you know, we didn't have the benefit of Instagram where you could post like, here's my classes. Let me know if you're in it. Like you had to go somewhere. You maybe had to, you know, dial a, you know, a landline phone and call your besties. But to find out everyone else, if you're in class, especially if there was someone you thought was cute, you had to go to Danish festival and try to hear the scuttlebutt on where everyone's going to be. This is the time of year where it was just packed in our small town. This is the time of year where you didn't hardly see anyone during the summer. So this is where the relationships that started in fifth grade at the end of the school year, the breakup happened at Danish festival because you never saw each other the whole summer. This was the moment where you started to see like, oh man, uh, like the summer did you good. You look way less awkward now, Aaron. I mean, uh, other people would say that. And uh, this was that time of year. And one of the big highlights of it was there was a huge parade. 
And this parade was awesome because it sprawled like almost a mile stretch of our town. And there were just people all up and down the streets. And of course, as a kid, like you were ready to pounce on the fact that there was going to be lots of free stuff, lots of candy, lots of stickers. You got kind of annoyed at the people who would throw out stuff like dental floss and stuff. No offense. I'm not making fun of dentists this morning. I really promise. But like, come on, give us the candy, give us the good stuff. And don't give us like the generic, like off brand. We want the real deal. This was a highlight of the culture of Greenville, Michigan. There was so much buzz, so much excitement for it to this day. This morning is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, we celebrate this thing that we oftentimes refer to as the triumphant entry. That Jesus, as he is teaching, he's doing his ministry, he begins to talk about this thing called the kingdom. And for the Jewish people... When they heard Jesus talk about the kingdom, their mind went back to something that was familiar. They thought literally we're going to have a physical kingdom. They thought we're going to have a David-like king again who is going to come and he is going to throw some elbows. He's going to grab out some swords and we are going to go from being the oppressed to being back on top. And yet as Jesus began to teach about his kingdom, we began to realize that his kingdom wasn't going to be like the rest of the kingdoms. You know, in our modern culture, when we think about kingdoms, and maybe when we think about parades and things like that would be um, shows of power, we think about things like from maybe the Cold War, where you'd see uh, parades that would just have like military people marching through the street, and they would have their big bombs and things like that. And this is our kind of our modern thought of a kingdom coming and showing. Maybe you've seen the amazing Disney classic Aladdin, which I'm also very, very excited about for the live action. Who's, who, who's, who, come on, who's, who's excited for that one? I was a little interested with Will Smith with the first preview, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, in, in the movie Aladdin, there is this huge sort of parade that comes into town where he's trying to look like he is this powerful ruler. And for Jesus, just like the way that he taught about an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom in which when you are the least, you are the greatest. That when you are the humblest, you will be the most lifted up. In the same way, Jesus enters as his sort of inauguration, his parade as being the king of this kingdom that he's been talking about by riding into the holy city of Jerusalem right in the midst of the beginning of Passover. Now, Passover is this ginormously huge, significant holiday in which the Jewish people celebrate God redeeming the enslaved Israelites. The the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. Maybe you've also seen the Rugrats episode, if you're my age, where they talk about that. Or maybe you've seen uh, the movie Prince of Egypt. It's basically the same thing that in the book of Exodus, they're pretty hand in hand. And uh, so they celebrate this for centuries, where they're celebrating the fact that the God of, uh, of, of the one true God plucked them out of enslavement, And brought them into a promised land. And so this is the biggest moment. And and Jerusalem is the holy city. And so it's crazy. Scholars, uh, many scholars believe that the day that Jesus had his triumphant entry, his Palm Sunday, there were probably 2.5 million people in the city that day. I mean, we're just talking like a massively, like some of you are sitting here like, it feels like that sitting here this morning. Um, It was packed. And there's all this buzz, all this excitement. And Jesus has began to get this huge following. People are hearing about his miracles, casting out demons, walking on water, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. 
And many people, again, have begun to think this is going to be the king that we thought. We're going to be in power. And I have to imagine there's this weird image where Jesus says, ah, we're going to do a little bit different. Though in that culture, we would normally have a king riding in on a mighty steed. Instead, we're riding on a donkey. Instead of coming in with an army, showing your power and your might, being proud, he rides in on a humble donkey. And as he's coming into the town, the excitement of the lined streets of these people, anticipating, waiting, knowing that Jesus is coming, they begin to grab their cloaks and they begin to cut the palm branches. That's where we get Palm Sunday. And they begin to lay them down onto the road as a symbol of respect, of, 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 of acknowledging his royalty, his authority. And they begin to shout this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, they were stirred up and they began to ask about who is this guy. Now, let's talk a little bit about what these mean. Hosanna. Hosanna is a word that just means save us. It is a, a Greek word that was kind of translated, or is a, is a Hebrew word that gets translated into the Greek. And Hosanna really just means Save us. It is this kind of call uh, word that has sort of this two-part meeting. It's this both save us, but also praise you because I can see that you're here to save me. A few weeks back, uh, it was really funny. So we, we have one of those video monitors, and my three-year-old is in a big boy bed now. And uh, I don't know about you, but my son gets hyped at bedtime. And so uh, I'm really glad he still believes there's an invisible force field on his bed. So he can't get out of bed, which if any of you tell him that it's that it's not true, uh, we will fight. But it's kind of amazing. And uh, but anyways, you know, he, he talks to himself. He plays with his little uh, PJ Masks little stuffed animal. But the other day, I just hear shrieking and I'm like, oh, that's not good. And so I run into his room and he is somehow like he dropped his little cat boy and he somehow has his like whole body and his head down on the ground stuck in between uh, his nightstand and his bed. I won't lie, it was really funny. I wish I would have stopped and taken a picture. Uh, I'm a terrible person, I know. Don't call CPS, but like you all would have wanted done the same thing. But my son is calling out, but also it's kind of funny because he's, he's laying upside down and he can like see me that way. Sorry about that. And uh <laughs> was thinking about that as I was bending over. Like, you all might not want to see that. But I, it's kind of funny how his shrieking soon turns to, Daddy, yeah, 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 you're here. And there's this it kind of, kind of, pictures this great moment too of this daddy i need to save you but also thank god you're here because the blood is rushing to my head and i was about to pass out as the the people are crying out hosanna son of david they're saying save us but they're also for for those of us maybe who don't have like a jewish background which would, which would also be me when they call out hosanna son of david that's an acknowledgement to this idea that it had been long predicted that the king david david from david and goliath that that David, his line would produce the eventual king that was long awaited for. And so when they're crying out, Hosanna, save us, they're acknowledging that we need to be saved, but we're also praising the fact that help has arrived. And we're also praising the fact that the deliverer is royal, that he's legit, that he is the one that we thought we wanted, that we thought, no, not that we thought we wanted, but the one who was supposed to be coming. And they just proclaim this, Blessed 
is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they continue to shout Hosanna. Now, it's this beautiful, beautiful moment that is really cool, except for the fact that less than a week later, the same people who were crying Hosanna are the people who are crying crucify him. A lot can change in a week, can't it? A lot can change in a week. So why are they crying for this? Why are they crying for the king? Why are they acknowledging him? Why in this moment are they finally acknowledging the fact that the kingdom has come? I think a big question to understand the kingdom, to understand what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom, to understand whether or not we even want Jesus as our king. Because a good working definition of what is a kingdom, a kingdom really in a lot of ways is just an effective will. It's a place where there is some sort of king, some sort of leader who is affecting their will upon a people group and the people are acknowledging it. And so when Jesus teaches about the kingdom and eventually he has this moment where he comes in as the king, to be a part of the kingdom means to come under the authority of Jesus, which again, authority in our time and culture can feel like a swear word in some ways. But when we come under his authority and we begin to seek his will and his way, we begin to try to advance his kingdom. But again, why in the world did the kingdom even have to come? Why does it have to come? Why did it come? Why couldn't God just like wave his magic wand and just fix everything? Why in the world would this God who's way far away even deeply want to be involved in our lives? Couldn't he just overthrow everything? Couldn't he just, you know, flood the earth again and call it all good? He couldn't do that. One, he had too many promises he had to follow through on. And two, in God's nature, he is a loving, gracious God. Last week, we talked a little bit about this, but I I found more and more in my life, and maybe some of this would be true for you, that I have some junk in my ideas of who God is. I have some junk in terms of there are things that I have believed about who God is that ain't true about God. You see, growing up as the youngest of three boys, getting the hand-me-downs, being the shortest one, the one who didn't have the perfect Nike check mark in their back of their head, although my brother's was probably worse. There's a lot of me that I won't lie, I really struggled with these two verses that we're going to read in just a second. And I'll tell you why. These are popular verses. You, you've, you, even if you don't grow up in church, you've probably heard this one. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now let's stop there for just a second. Again, everyone has has heard this verse before. Everyone has seen this verse before. It becomes almost unimpressive because it is just a part of our cultural vernacular. Yet it's pretty, pretty significant. Part of my story growing up is John 3.16 was not hard for me to understand. It was really easy for me to have this idea, this picture of a God. I could see it. I could, I could understand that. And that he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus. Now again, I understood we were messed up. I understood there's a lot of baggage involved in that. But I could understand how God could be so loving that he would send his son for us. For us. That he would establish this kingdom. And that this would be good. And that we could have eternal life. But oftentimes we, 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 we fail to continue on and read. And maybe some of you have read this one, but you haven't read the follow-up verse. And it just says this in verse 17. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, 
Faith is both incredibly personal, but it's also incredibly communal. There's a reality that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, it takes a personal decision, but that personal decision flows into a community-type thing. We oftentimes refer to that as the church. But growing up, I'll be honest with you guys, I could understand the idea of a God who deeply loved and came for a large kind of idealistic view of humanity, that he wanted this kingdom. But I really struggled with this idea of that God wanted to come to save the world, in particular me, rather than condemn the world. Because let's be honest, most of of us have heard, we've seen, we've been hurt by, by people who proclaim to be Christians. Oftentimes what's really sad is statistically speaking, most people when they're asked, when they're surveyed about what are Christians like, they typically go with hypocritical or things they're against. Very few people say they're the most loving, generous, accepting people I've ever met in my life. In fact, it's often the opposite. And so for many of us, we get this idea in our head that, yes, in theory, God would love us, that, yes, his son did come. And maybe he came to save some people, but not me. In most of my early life, I struggled with this idea of buying into this idea that God came to save me. That he would personally love me. Because to me, in in my mind, it, it made me think of, if you're like me, you liked sports growing up. And you remember book fairs, which were great because no one actually bought real books. You just bought erasers and things like that. I would buy stuff like you could buy sports players' addresses, which obviously were just random P.O. boxes that just got sent stuff. But, of course, when you're in elementary school, you think, I'm going to write Barry Sanders and Michael Jordan, and we're probably going to become best friends. They'll probably want to mentor me. I'll probably be the first one ever to play in the NFL and the NBA at the same time. These are the things in your mind, right? But over time, you begin to realize, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm never going to know that famous, powerful person. And to me, that categorically went to this idea of God. I understood this idea that, yes, the kingdom kind of came for some people, but the kingdom never came for me. I could look and see the value that God placed upon certain people, the gifting that he gave to them to do certain things. I could see why God would notice them. But, man, did I have a hard time understanding this idea of God not, like of God just wanting to want me. And the truth is, for some of us, we may be in the same boat. We have some junk, some baggage when we think about who God is. And we have a hard time thinking about a God who, who, who in general isn't just here to condemn and judge us, but also for so many of us, it's hard to think about, even if he's not, even if he is a loving, gracious God, it's hard for some of us to even believe that he would be that for us. We just can't measure up. We can't do enough things. Yet the truth is, Jesus came to save you, not condemn you. And that's like, wow, Aaron, wow, that's so mind-blowing. I've never heard that before. But truly, step back for one moment and just think about that. The God of all the universe, who, who, who could create us in any way that he wanted. He could advance his kingdom in any way he wanted. Sent his son for you and me. 
And he didn't come as someone who had the opportunity to completely just lay into us. I mean, think about that. We deserve judgment. That's not very fun to talk about, right? But most of us, if we're honest, we're pretty messed up. Like if you could like look inside my mind and see some of the thoughts I've thought, you'd be like, holy cow, fire this guy right now. And yet, the God of all the universe, his son, came for me despite all my junk, despite all my brokenness. And some of us need to begin to just unpack some of those things and start our faith with Jesus and the fact that he did come to save you because he loves you. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to immediately just come and tell you everything that you're doing wrong in your life. He came to give you compassion because the kingdom comes not to bring condemnation, but to bring compassion. And that's just the truth. And there is far too long been this idea in our culture that people see Jesus and they see Jesus' followers as condemning rather than compassionate. And man, may the kingdom come in a way that points people to the true loving Jesus who deeply and desperately loves us. But so you're like, okay, you're blah, 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 we get it. How do we even know these things? How, how, how do we understand these things? So let's, let's fast forward a little bit in the story, right? So again, I'm going to give some spoiler alerts. If you didn't know the story, I apologize. Jesus eventually, after this triumphant entry, he eventually gets arrested, betrayed by his best friend, really gets betrayed by all his friends. He's put on trial. He's convicted of crimes he didn't commit. He is tortured, beaten, and eventually he is crucified on a cross. And this is my, maybe my favorite part of Scripture, which probably is going to sound super, like, morbid. But in Matthew chapter 27, this is what it says. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he's, 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 he's on the cross, and he gave up his spirit. He dies. It's, it's, it's done in that moment. Which, again, you're like, Aaron, this is your favorite verse? That's kind of morbid and weird. Like, can't you pick something a little more cute? At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, big deal, right? Some of y'all are like, listen, I ripped some curtains in my grandma's house once. It's not that big of a deal. The curtain in the temple was not this lace, delicate kind of curtain that we think of in our grandma's house. This curtain would have been like a foot thick. We're talking about something that was so well put together. Like there's no way someone is going to be able to, like even if someone tried to do one of those, uh, like in the pirate movies where they jump on the sail and they like slide down, which I've always thought looks awesome to do, uh, that wouldn't have worked either. And yet we see this moment where as soon as Jesus gives up his last breath, the first thing that happens is the the, the, the curtain tears into two. Now, the curtain is important. It's significant because in that culture, the, the holiest places you would go to the temple. And in the midst of the temple, there is this place called the Holy of Holies. In this place, you had to do all these ceremonial washings. There was only a handful of guys who were the holy people who could get there. And they would go on behalf and they would try to make all of the jump through all of these hoops just so people could experience the forgiveness of sin. And so the Holy of Holies was, was there to protect people from the glory and, and the wonder and the power of God. And so when the curtain tears into two, it is this beautiful acknowledgement by the God of all the universe to say, I'm tearing down a divide that has divided me from you. That no longer are you going to have to feel like I am here on earth, but I am distant from you. 
but this is opening up everything so you can have new life. The amazing thing about this, Jesus, who is, who is called out to be the Savior, it's that the Deliverer has divided, has destroyed the divide. The Deliverer has destroyed the divide. That in your life today, this is what's crazy. You in this moment, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't have to sacrifice an animal. You don't have to do all of these things. You can stop trying to work out your salvation. You can stop trying so hard because Jesus has already accomplished everything for you. And that there's a free gift for you to receive. And the truth is, the kingdom has came not for a figural idea of people, but it has personally came for each one of us. That the king, who is powerful, who is Jesus, as he walks by through his parade and his procession, doesn't walk by high and mighty, but he looks in the eyes of each one of you, and he says, the kingdom is for you. This new life is for you. This forgiveness is for you. And not only that, I invite you to be a part of what I'm doing. So what do we do with this? How do we continue to see the kingdom come? We seek the kingdom and we advance the kingdom by pursuing Jesus in his ways. As simple as that sounds, that's it. We just pursue his ways so that way others will see this. Now, Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is teaching and he teaches his followers how to pray. And he tells them to pray in this way, that you pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let me throw something at us for a quick moment as we think a little bit about this and the kingdom coming. What if we change some of the phrasing and we said it this way instead? That we pray, Jesus, that your kingdom come and your will be done in the Kokomo area as it is in heaven. What if we stopped having figural ideas and we began to place real-life people in faces and began to say, the kingdom of God needs to go to this place? And we're not getting in a war with people and culture. We are getting in a war with the, the, the kingdoms of darkness that are so desperately trying to tell people that they are not worthy. They're trying to implant shame inside of them. They're trying to tell them that God doesn't care, that God is distant, or God is not real. And the kingdom is wanting to pursue and push this reality that all of us are deeply and desperately loved by the God of all the universe. That Jesus didn't come for just some people, the right people. He came for all people. He came for you and he came for me. Now, aside from people's lives being transformed in that way, another aspect of the kingdom moving forward is that there has to be something different. God called his people to be holy and set apart, to, to live lives that looked different. And I, I, what I mean by that, it doesn't mean we're judgmental. It doesn't mean we're uh, crazy. We're not fundamentalists. We're not uh, just, you know, holier than thou. But part of holiness means that we live differently with our, our time, our talent, and our treasure. This morning, I'm going to invite all of you to be a part of something. It was about two weeks ago, I was reading a newspaper article. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, wow, you can read. That's amazing. I know. Um, thank you, all of my teachers. And I was reading a story that, um, man, I started kind of tearing up like I was watching the movie Coco for a second. And uh, if you've watched Coco, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've cried, definitely. And I was reading about how... Um, one of our neighbors, which is Western's Intermediate School, 
uh, was raising money through through an organization called uh, KSAC, which uh, stands for Kokomo something you guys might know. If you don't know what KSAC is, basically it, it is a program that works with uh, children with special needs uh, in the different schools. And it's kind of this combined effort of school of, of Western, of Northwestern, of McConaughey, of Tipton, and uh, maybe an even, I think those are all it. And uh, what they're trying to do is they've realized a need in our community for the least of these. They've realized that there's not a, a what we'd call inclusive uh, type of playground uh, in our community that those who are in wheelchairs and different things like that have the opportunity to play just like other kids would have the opportunity to play. And so as I'm reading this, this article, I'm thinking, that is kingdom stuff. In the kingdom of God, it's an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of the world, it's all about those who are perfect, are powerful. Those are the ones who experience all the cool, great stuff. But in the kingdom of God, God bends down and he says to those who maybe the world would say are too different, are broken, are, 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 we don't know what to do with them. He sees them and says, you are so beautiful. You are so special. You are so amazing. And you too are created in my image. And so when I saw the article, I said, listen, we got to do something. Um, there are many of us who God has, has deeply blessed. And, you know, I know oftentimes money in church is weird because people are like, oh, yeah, of course, a pastor getting up and talking about money. And so one of the things we wanted to be able to do that we're going to do this Sunday and we're going to do both services next Sunday is we're going to invite you. And I'm not going to be shy about this. I'm going to invite everybody. Even if you're like, listen, I don't even like God. I don't like you. I'm going to invite you this morning to be a part of something that I believe that Jesus and his kingdom deeply and desperately cares about. And that is loving on those who the rest of the world may say don't have the same amount of value who are just too different you know the greatest commandment is love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself so this morning i'm going to invite you to love your neighbor with us i'm going to invite the ushers forward and uh, we're going to be doing a special offering and if we can bring up the um the, yeah, there's a picture of what the uh the playground would look like which is pretty cool it'll be fenced in, it'll be really safe um it's a really cool thing i think guys and uh so uh, if you can bring up the next slide, we'll have the giving slide up again. If you uh, don't have cash or don't want to go online, if you text to that number and you just text the word play, it'll help you. Uh, and every bit of the money we're getting this morning is going to this project because we just think it is so cool, this opportunity that God has given uh, to our community and the opportunity that he's given to our church to be a part of that. So let me pray a prayer real quick. As, uh, as we're going to take up this offering. And then we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing this song called Hosanna. And we're just going to proclaim this reality that we have a Savior. That we need a Savior. That He has come and He has saved us. And it is our opportunities to reach out. And then I won't lie. Get yourselves ready because there's going to be some really cute kids coming in to sing some songs. Let's pray. God, I thank you for just who you are. God, I thank you for the fact that, God, you did not come into this world to condemn this world, but to save this world. God, I pray that maybe there's someone this morning, God, who needed to hear that, who needed to know that you deeply and desperately love them, that they've had some junk, they've had some some, some misviews of who you are. God, I pray this morning that the only voice they would hear in this moment is the voice of you. And, God, that they would hear the words of, you are my son, you are my daughter. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are valuable. And I deeply and desperately want to have a relationship with you. Would you just seek my forgiveness? Would you seek to follow my ways? And man, your life could be brand new. 
God, I thank you for amazing things happening in our community, for, for, for kids who, 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 who are all created in the image of God, who are different in the most beautiful way possible. God, I pray that through the gifts we're about to receive, God, we can show our neighbors how much we love them. We can show the world what the kingdom, the upside-down kingdom values. And God, would that help draw people in to knowing you as the king? God, we love you. We thank you for being our king, the God who saves us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.